stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. going on everybody we have an early evening edition of the program as always i am your host austin krell along with my co-host who is back brock landis welcome back my friend to the program i see you got you got a little bit of like a habib i knew it was coming i knew it was coming krell <laughs> go ahead continue what is it tell me what's what's on the top of my dome it looks like a Khabib type uh, type look you got going on there. Yeah, that's, that's that's not bad. I'll take that as 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 a compliment. My boys Habib and Hasbullah holding it down for me over in Russia. <laughs> um, but look, I'm I'm getting surgery on the top of my head. My my barber is going to perform some surgery in a couple of days. I'm going back to school, so I'm just rocking this shaggy look for for the time being because I don't want to get my cut too far in advance. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, this is the feed to Embiid, uh, as always. Brock, how, what's going on? How, uh, update us. I mean, look, Krell, this is what I was thinking about before the show. All those times throughout the year, you were telling me Brock's a celebrity. Brock's going to forget us. Brock's going to – this and that. You're the one that got the verified blue check. You got the blue check on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, Krell. Congratulations. Uh, how's it feel, though? It's weird. It's definitely a little weird. Um I mean, I'm used to it by now, but in the beginning, it was a lot of like, I would get like random podcast hosts in my in, in my emails, or like in my DMs, like, like, yo, can I have you on my program, Talk Sixers or whatever? So it's 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 weird, like, because like, I'm not any different than I was. Like, it's mm-hmm. it, it, nothing's changed, but apparently that check mark is like the god's credibility. So yeah, I mean, it's, on, it's on weird. Media, that's how it goes. But again, it's, congratulations, Carl, that before you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, so, Brock, we have a lot to get into since we last talked. I think last time we talked was even prior to the playoffs, I believe, or prior prior to the second round loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, obviously, I, I know your boy Two Five let you down a little bit, uh, or a lot, of it, a lot of it, a lot of it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that situation plays out. I guess we'll start there. Um, how are you feeling about Ben right now? I'm kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place. And my mind is being drawn a million different directions because there's the reports that Ben isn't going to report to training camp and he doesn't have interest in playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. And then you get reports that Ben wants to only play for teams out in California, the Warriors, the Clippers. Uh, and then you got Minnesota offering D'Angelo Russell on a deodorant stick for Ben Simmons and the entire fan base convincing themselves that settling for pennies on the dollars is, is what you should do. But ultimately here's where I'm at. This decision isn't going to be made by one person. There's three people. It's a three headed monster, Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, and Joel Embiid. I'm under the impression that if the relationships aren't fractured internally, meaning with Joel, with his teammates, with Daryl, with Doc, It's okay to retain Ben and at the minimum build his value back up. But the devil on my shoulder, and I don't know if you watched the Malice in the Palace uh, documentary on Netflix. You should. It's a great watch. It's telling me that if things are fractured internally beyond repair, and I'm not speaking about with the fans, I mean with his teammates, with his coach, then you might actually have to settle for pennies on the dollar. But in this day and age, you don't know what to believe. You don't know the credi- credibility of who's reporting what or what's true, what's not true. So at the moment, here's where I stand. You retain Ben. You don't run it back just yet. You wait and see if Bradley Beal requests a trade. You see if something happens with Portland. Maybe they go in a 10-game skid to open the season and Dame requests a trade. Neither of those strike me as, as the guys to do that. But if that does happen, you're in a position where you're the best buyer at the deadline because you have this incredible asset ambidextrous ball handler, 25, can defend, barrel chest. I mean, he can do a ton of things, right? But if the relationships are fractured internally 
then you really have to explore your options because you don't want that to hinder the product on the court. So if Joe and Ben can't make amends, if Tobias and Ben can't make amends, if Danny and Ben aren't speaking and they can't make amends, then of course you want to eliminate that while you can so you don't have that problem with, what, 30 games before the playoffs. But regardless, if the Sixers do keep Ben, he's the 70-plus win percentage in the regular season with Joel Embiid, so the team is going to remain a top three to five seed, and you hope that they can figure things out. But again, my mind being drawn in a different direction, didn't Doc say the Sixers had a plan to work with Ben in the offseason? And yet, all you've seen is high crossovers and dunks out of Chris Johnson hoops and Ben Simmons on social media. So I'm really not sure what's going on behind closed doors. So uh, I, I, I just default to I'll believe things when I see it. Yeah, um, I'll say this. So like, I, I up to this point, all off season, it, it's been reiterated that like 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 he wants he he's comfortable with coming back. Like he wouldn't be okay. He, he wouldn't be like upset about coming back to Philly and playing. Um, and you know he's willing to return and whatnot. But yet, um, up until recently, when I asked if there would be a holdout or if, if, you know if 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 you if you would consider that, that is something that has. Um, been like, they're like, well, we don't know. So that that it seems like there's a little bit of a change of, of maybe understanding or maybe a little bit of, of a hold up or a change of heart there, with 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 what Ben's interests would be. Um, I think it is such like an odd situation because rarely do you have um, a star who is the one who's like. Like, like like the star is usually the one requesting a trade, not like the team trying to get off the star um, in, in most cases. So I think it's um, I, 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 I think it's like such an odd scenario where like the only thing that can really raise his trade value back to the point where he can, you know, get out of here. If that's how he wants to put it is by showing up and just balling out in the early part of the season. Um, and if they have an early, early, if they have, if they have an easy early schedule, it's, it's going to help him if, if, if they're, they're playing bad defenses and he's just killing it because then it gets him out of there faster. So I think if, if, if he's really intent on getting out, the best thing for him to do is to just play well early on and, and raise that trade value. Maybe even stick, maybe even attempt a couple jumpers here and there, um, which we know won't happen, but if it helps him get out and he really wants to get out, why not? Um, I, I, my sense is that he'll probably um, be like a little bit of like a hold in training camp and then he'll eventually acquiesce and give in and, and, and show up. Um, but this is, this has not played out to his benefit in, in a way that would be good for him at all. So, I don't see a world where he's like where he's just best suited. Like, nah, I'm gonna chill. You guys go to the camp and, and and trade me when you've had enough of it. Like, because as one, once you trade him, that's your last trade chip. You can't lose that trade. Like, you just cannot settle for anything less than a, an avenue to a star. Whether that means Dejounte Murray or or, or and, and a, and a I'll picks out the wazoo. Maybe that's something that, that 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 you can do, but you have to find your way to a Bradley Beal or a Damian Lillard in that scenario. You can't, you just simply, you you can't have the final return be less than a star, and that 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 that's where you will burn Joel's prime. So it's a very 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 sensitive situation. I think with people on Twitter who who are like or on Instagram, are like who cares? Trade Ben, trade Ben. Like this isn't this isn't this isn't the Damian Lillard trade. Trade Ben. Like like shut up. It's not that easy. It's real. It, this is an incredibly delicate situation. Um, I what they're I, obviously I think what they're waiting on right now is Dame to, to, to finally say, you know what, this isn't going to happen here. I got to get out, and then that's when they pounce. That 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 that's what they're waiting on. Um, he, obviously, the reports are that he said like 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 no, nah, I'm not requesting out yet. Like 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 I'm going to give it a shot. This talk around Team USA, from what I heard, was that. Like yeah, he's gonna. Like everyone thought he was gonna ask out. Everyone thought it was it was, it was over, and then I, I don't know that that's changed at all. Maybe they're anticipating that it happens once he gives the season a chance. But 
I don't know. How, I don't see how he stays there. Like he said, they got to get better. They got to do this. They got to do that. And they couldn't get Kelly Oubre. They couldn't get Hassan Whiteside. Like these were all these are role players that were not interested in coming to Portland to play with Damian Lillard or the Blazers. Damn it. I mean, I don't know how to tell you this. It's not going to get any better for you. I'm excited for Chauncey Billups to coach that team. I think he's going to bring a defensive mind that they've lacked and, and a little bit more of continuity. But ultimately, Dame probably feels like he's he's going to give it one more opportunity with his boys Nurk and with CJ. But I think Portland really fumbled the bag this offseason in terms of retaining Dame for at least the next two, three, four, five years, the foreseeable future. And the signing of Norm Powell kind of indicated to me they're locking this guy up and it gives them some flexibility where they can maybe trade CJ and still have a two guard, a combo guard of the future. But I mean, this off season, they really did, like you said, with on a couple of free agents that aren't a list or B list free agents, just guys that can maybe bolster the bench or better offensive options for Dame, maybe alleviate some of that pressure. But the, the, the place I'm in with Dame is you just don't know. And you won't know until he wants to become available until he wants to do that. And you don't know if he's going to do that. But Ben gives them the best opportunity to secure Dame. And, uh, I mean, look, with Ben, what happened in the playoffs is inexcusable. He had his opportunity to ball out. And if he wanted to get traded, he, he could have showed up in the Atlanta series. That's very plausible. He could have done that. And I think a lot of people are misinterpreting what, like, people don't really know where to deflect blame, whether it be on Doc, whether it be on Tobias. But, all of them, when you blow a 20-point lead plus in the course of three, four games in a, in a series, blame doesn't just fall on one person. It's the old football saying the quarterback gets the blame for everything. I think people are trying to do that with the Sixers right now. Well, Ben's shortcomings were because of Doc. Well, no, actually, Ben's he, he's excused here because Tobias did. Everyone is at fault. And Ben specifically in the playoffs uh, against Atlanta – it was inexcusable. And for as good as he is defensively and as good as he did in Trey early on Trey early in that series, he couldn't play towards the latter half of the series because he couldn't be on the floor to play defense because he couldn't make a free throw. So if you're, you, your headline is that you're a multi-positional lockdown defender, but you can't be on the floor to play defense because you can't hit your free throws, and then you don't want to drive and be aggressive, which is the backbone of your offensive game, because you don't want to get to the free throw line, well, it hinders your game a ton. And that's what happened with Ben. So I'm, I'm really confused as to what he can do to revive his trade value. I mean, I still think teams around the league see him as a, a really good pawn, a really good trade piece, a, a player that can attract free agents or at least that you can market. So if he was traded to a team like Portland, they can market him similar to how they would have marketed Dame. But ultimately it's like, what criteria is Ben going to have to meet in the first 20 games that's going to make a team like the Sacramento Kings say, okay, right now we don't want to trade De'Aaron Fox for him, but we'll trade De'Aaron Fox for him now because he did this. So I think people know who Ben is, but they didn't want to give up everything that the Sixers were asking at the time being. They were trying to buy low. You do that in fantasy and they're doing that. With real life sports here, you try to buy low because this was his lowest point. But Ben is at a standstill in, in his career where he's either going to let this define him or he'll grow from it, but he'll never be the same player after it. Yeah, I don't think it helped him that, uh, I don't think it helped him that the uh, he, he, he fell apart against like a mediocre defense in the uh, in the Atlanta Hawks, like, like, like. It wasn't like he played. Like it wasn't like they were playing like some 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 juggernaut defensively. It was. It, 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 that team was was not that good of a defensive team, and he oh. still fell apart. So that's a problem. But I think let's say they play the Cavaliers. Let's say they play the Thunder early on. There's just a bunch of teams that are not good defenses. He could he he could you know, run them over himself, and then. You know, maybe 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 someone's interested in him. But interesting thing about Damian Lillard situation is this: he issues the ultimatum, says like some, something's got to change, things got to get better, yada yada yada. Their cap situation is that they are um, 
they have 134 million roughly in active cap, and they are well over the the, ca- the cap the, the cap they threshold. Had no money to spend. Yeah, they had no money to spend. So, what was he really saying in in in, in that ultimatum? My 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 take of it is that he's talking to his people and he's thinking, you know, I'm out regardless, but I'm going to give it a couple, get a couple games to say, I give it a, a, a good, the, the good old college one, two try, whatever the hell, whatever, 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 a good old college try, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, whatever the phrase is. So he doesn't, he just doesn't want to look like, like, like an ass, like Harden looked like last year, but he's a smart guy. There's no way he wasn't that he didn't have, you know, people in his ear saying like, like, yo, what do you think they're going to be able to do? Like they, they don't have any space. Like, like, like I think he's played this. So that way he, he can leave Portland looking like I gave it my all. They couldn't do enough by me. And I, I, I think that, you know, he, he would like to leave on those terms. So if, if that means giving it a couple, couple games beginning of the season to try. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's plausible. Um, so that's sort of where I said, I, I think they're, 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 I think the Sixers, regardless of what the Knicks say, they're the clubhouse favorites. The extension of Joel Embiid locks him in the Philly. So whoever comes to Philly knows that Joel will be there. They're not going to be deserted. He, 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 he's their guy. So if Dame wants to come play with Joel and a big, that, that and a big, that is active and, and can, and can, you know, be agile and be versatile, which is something I've heard he wants, Damian Lillard. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, Philly is a very good spot for him to land. Because if Miami gets involved, Portland's probably going to want Bam Adebayo. So there goes your big. Uh, well, the Knicks- well, another thing is the money that these teams yeah. just spend free agency. Kemble Walker, $70-plus million. Derek Rose, 40-plus mil. So you're looking at close to $120 million between two point guards in, in New York. The Lakers have 120 plus million dollars tied to three players, and then eight, nine, ten other players signed for under 24 million dollars on their roster. So they have no money. And you look at a team like Miami, who just spent 90 million dollars on Kyle Lowry and has a ton of money tied up between him, Jimmy, and Duncan Robinson. So this free agency really eliminated three, four teams that were in serious contention for Dame. But it is the NBA, and stranger things have happened. So. You, you never want to say never. You're you're almost you're almost close and and completely full of bullshit, uh, or I'm completely full of bullshit. Sorry, um, we're talking about the NBA, not not fantasy football or basketball. But you're close. Um, well, look, so- Carl, I actually wanted to talk about something near and dear to my heart. And look, I pride myself on telling the truth. I wouldn't lie to anybody watching. This is called a king cobra, and I haven't made this read in a minute because I, I've just been enjoying summer using this Cobra for what, two, three months now? Look, if you like shotgunning beer, if you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check these boys out, the King Cobra boys. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tap puller, vent puncher, and it all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's King Cobra Co. and Cobra is spelled with K for a 10% discount on all products. Enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10, trust the process. All caps, one word. Pick yours up today. There we go. Um, so I'll pose these two trade ideas. This is what I think ends up happening. Ben to Golden State. Um, Moses Moody, uh, the, the, the guy they drafted at number seven, I forget his name. Jonathan Kaminga. What? What? Kaminga, right? Yeah, Jonathan Kaminga. Yes, Jonathan that's right. Kuminga. So um, Kaminga, Moody, multiple other firsts, um, Wiseman, and like Wiggins to make the money work. They're not doing that. That neither, all. Neither team does that. Neither team does that. If Golden State was going to do that, they would have proposed the seven and fourteen on draft night because those assets lose value. The Sixers can't draft the guy. They didn't didn't offer that on draft night. Huh? How do you know they didn't offer that on draft night? I don't, but even if they did, the Sixers didn't accept it, which to me, the way the Sixers were playing these trade negotiations is indicative to me of how they felt about Ben. You have reports coming from 
Toronto's camp allegedly Golden State. Hold on, hold on. The Sixers had these outrageous prices. They had those prices outrageous for a reason. We're not going to settle for anything less. We're going to trade Ben on our terms. We're going to trade him for something we deem uh, of good value on the way back. We're not going to settle. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know what I mean? That all goes to Portland. Plus, Kaminga, Wiggins, Wiseman, their entire future goes to Portland. Okay. That goes to Portland. Plus picks from the Sixers. Okay. Maybe Tyrese Maxey. What what the hell? What are you just raffling off kids 22 and under to trade? Damian Lillard to Philly. Okay. Where's Maxey going? Portland? Golden State? Portland. Portland. What the hell's Golden State get? They get Ben Simmons. I mean, look. I think that's a very maybe I don't want to say it's likely, but I I think that's a very realistic deal. If it's true that Ben prefers to play for the Golden State Warriors or a California team, Golden State's going to need to involve a third team. It's got to be a three-team trade because I, I I don't think anybody. What do we? Brock is looking a little small there. Come work out with me, bro. I appreciate that. I appreciate the 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 uh, offer there. Um, but like I was saying with Golden State, of course Golden State wants Ben. I mean, you pair Ben with arguably two of the greatest shooters to ever play the game, a defensive mind and Draymond. You had some depth on the bench. Golden State would steamroll through the Western Conference. But Golden State also isn't going to mortgage their entire future for four years of Ben Simmons because you're looking at a 7, a 14, and Wiseman. One of them. You would think one of them all picked within the top 15 in the past two-year drafts, are going to amount to at least an all-star game or or an all-star appearance, maybe all-NBA. So they're mortgaging their entire future for four years of Ben Simmons, which I'm sure they could retain him or or maybe win more. But Bob Myers reiterated before the season, we also have to look ahead. And that's why they weren't jumping in on Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard sweepstakes because when Steph – he's 31 now, I believe – when Steph is no longer – playing to uh, up to Steph Parr, when Clay Thompson isn't playing up to Clay Parr, when Dre has to walk, those things, they need a future. And, and that future, I don't think, is Ben Simmons for Golden State. I like it in theory. I like it in theory. And don't get me wrong, I would trade anything not named Joel Embiid on the Sixers for Damian Lillard. But I don't think either team does that. Okay. I, I think it's a, a trade that is gaining momentum, is what I, is what I would think. Um, you just made you just made that up. You just made the three team up. I don't, I don't make things up like that. But I will say, if if Golden State was to trade for Ben Simmons, they need a third team. Yep, and the LA teams are all capped out. They don't have the ability to right. to, to to do that. Um, so it's it's either going to be Sacramento or Golden State for Ben if he wants if he's so if he's so uh, you know adamant on playing in California. I like what Sacramento has. I I, I see people. Talking in the chat about Sacramento, I like what Sacramento can offer. I really do. I think in terms of packages that can yield you the return you want for Ben, I don't know if De'Aaron Fox will be made available. I know Sacramento Sacramento has alluded to him not being available, but, dog, De'Aaron Fox is the most slept-on player, maybe even point guard in the NBA. De'Aaron Fox has a cold bag. He can shoot off the dribble. He can cook anybody within the perimeter, strong to the basket, working on three-point shot, not as consistent as you'd like, but he can shoot the three-ball. If you package a, a point guard, somebody that knows how to facilitate and score, get buckets on offense with somebody like Buddy Heal, and maybe spice it up with a Marvin Bagley, that gives the Sixers a ton of incentive to send maybe Ben or Shea over to the Sacramento Kings. But um, only time will tell. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I think that deal is getting. I think it's going to be a three team, the three teamer with Portland and Golden State. Everybody okay, does. so so you think Dane does ask out ultimately? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's going to be Ben to Golden State for the package that I suggested and uh, Dan coming to Philly. I mean, that, that isn't something I make up. I'm not that creative. That's something that's like, it's like, it's like what do you, that's been passed around a couple of times. So um, Portland, Portland gets Golden State's entire future and Tyrese Maxey. I mean, I don't think Golden State's that high on, 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 on Wiseman and Wiggins is. Wigan is bad money. Um, Moody, what do you got going on? You're playing GTA in the background? You, uh, what is this? It's an electrical you, you had a dance club? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Triggering uh, my ADHD. I can't even focus. 
<laughs> um, so the, you know, the, those, those two picks that they just, that they just took in the draft. Um, and then, you know, the two, fu- two future first, what, what it comes down to is as, as, as those are nice picks, but there's still no guarantee that those guys are even at ever at Ben Simmons level. All they've done is play summer league. They, they may never translate to the NBA. Right. Sure. So sure. I think that's a very possible deal that you get Maxi, you get a couple first from the Sixers, the golden state package sent out to Portland and you get Lillard back. And I think that's something that's that 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 is not just me, uh, you know, spewing out. That's that's something that's been passed around. So I I, I think that's an, an interesting package. Okay, and what it, was the second one? The second one was just a two teamer with Portland. So Ben and like like t- not four first. Ben or you know four firsts, and you know they want Maxi fine for um for 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 Dame. I'll say this. I'll say why that, that that deal could appeal to Portland more than the Golden State deal could. Is there a better team in the next five? Is there a better bet in the next five years of a team that is going to be rebuilding than the Sixers? I'm sure there is. I would put yes, because look, I would put my money on the Sixers being is just as big of a question as Anthony Davis's health. Giannis is one freak accident or one freak injury away from having the same struggles. Same with Jokic, but anytime you've got a guy that's seven feet, close to 300 pounds, 250 plus, running up and down, playing 30 minutes a game, there's a high likelihood there's going to be a gruesome injury somewhere. Uh, this just based on history and, and how much wear and tear running on a basketball court in that game has on you physically. I don't think the Sixers really have a five-year window to win a title and then it's scrap everything. And I think what they're doing right now, building a pipeline of prospects and young guys that can contribute right away in the NBA, just negates that even further. Like you've got Thibault, you've got Tyrese Maxey, you've got Embiid, you've got Tobias. It's generally a pretty young team. Tobias, 28, Embiid, 27. Thibault, he's what, 24, 25 years old, Maxey, 22. I think there's plenty of teams that are going to be in a position to rebuild in five years. If, I, if I'm guessing. Sixers, I'll say. More than the Sixers, I'll say. I, I think it's a pretty good bet that the Sixers will be a rebuilder in the next five or so years, and 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 and, and maybe 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 not like def, definitely that frame, but let's say they're 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 saying twenty twenty six first, twenty twenty eight first, twenty twenty thirty first, whatever, because you can trade picks in consecutive years due to the Stepien rule. Um, I mean, twenty thirty, the Sixers will be rebuilding. Twenty twenty eight, the Sixers will be rebuilding. The the. the oh. 2030. I'm telling given, you, given the 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 climate we live in, given what's going on on this planet and 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 everything with the climate change, I don't even know if I'm going to be alive in 2030. Right, so I don't want to start talking about the Sixers rebuilding it. That's ten. It's ten years. Well, no, no, no. But I, I'm, all I'm saying is that I don't, I don't think it's so far fetched that the, the Blazers could be attracted to the Sixers' first round picks, not just in the next two years, three years, but like five to seven to nine years out. Well, when you're looking at picks that far ahead in the future, you don't really know what's going to happen. You, yeah. you really don't. And I'll say with Ben and Dame, neither has leverage. Like, both are under contract for four more years. Dame is guaranteed the most money in the NBA over the next four seasons, I believe. So, then- look, Dame can ultimately ask out, and Portland will probably grant him that wish, and he has been so loyal to that organization that if he does request out, I'm sure they'll make things work, but – Really, neither of them has any leverage because they're both under contract for four more seasons. So they can all say they want to go here, they want to go there. The best team, the the, the the team that presents the best offer is going to get either Ben Simmons or Damian Lillard. Ben for Lamelo Ball, would you do that deal? Given what happened in the playoffs last season, I probably would. I probably would. I'm a huge fan of Lamelo's game, and I, I really think the sky's the limit for Lamelo. He showed huge improvement over his first season. Three ball, deep range. Offensively, there's really nothing he can't do. His layup package is unparalleled. And defensively, if, if you just get him to buy into a scheme or a coverage and you pair him with a guy like Joel Embiid, he'll suffice. I probably wouldn't trade him for LaMelo Ball. Really? I don't think I would. Um, is, it, is, it, is it the on-court player or is it the antics off the court? No, I, I just – I'm very, I'm very, very, very shaky about trading for rookies or trading for guys that haven't played their second year yet. Because hey, don't forget, 
don't forget, LaMelo was busting grown men in the NBL. Those are grown men hooping to keep the lights on at night. You're and LaMelo right. at 16. You're right. I just I, – I, 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 I'm very shaky about that. I think it's a, I think it's a very risky bet because sure. they, could hit, they, could, they could hit that rookie wall after, you know, there's finally a scout on them in, 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 in after year one. Right, like Ben's best season was his rookie year because no one had a scout on him yet, and then look what happened. Right, like he became an all star, three time all star, but he his game he he was his at his best his rookie year because no one had a scout. So I, I'm still, very- I still don't think really anybody can guard Ben. I think Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons' best defender. Yeah, I agree. I, with I, 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 I think he he is he is he is his own best defender because if Ben Simmons wanted to play the way that Ben Simmons should be playing on a consistent basis. How many guys can guard a 6'10", 240-pound big body that's going to barrel chest into you and get to the basket? Like, guys just can't – they're not quick enough mentally. They can't read well enough to – they can't read the hezzies, the dribbles. They just can't keep up with a guy that big. So I think Ben is Ben's best defender. Right. Um let me ask you this. Or so you said you made a good point, made an interesting point. You said that Ben doesn't have any leverage. I would disagree a little bit. Okay. And here's why. Here's why. The longer this carries on, right? And the lo- if Ben holds out or whatever, that's one less st- s- theoretical star that Joel has to play with on the court. If they get off to a four and eight uh, or a slow start, whatever. And they're three, four games behind the, the the four or five seed in the East. They might say, well, you know, we've had enough of this. Just trade them. So Ben does have a little bit of leverage here, not a lot, but a little bit because sure, it's just another year, like 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 like, like just one year. It's also a year out of Joel's prime that you'd be wasting it if if you if you let the antics, you know get in the middle. So that is, that is his one token of leverage here, but generally speaking, you're correct. He has no leverage. He has the leverage to get traded, but he doesn't have the leverage to get traded where he wants to right now. The organization is doing him a favor. And if he does want to get traded to golden state, we'll try to make things work. But ultimately if he does hold out and he causes a scene, all the Sixers have to do is cool. You're traded to OKC. Go enjoy that. We're going to trade you to the farthest team in the Western Conference, that is no chance to compete. How's that for leverage? Another thing, um, I know you're not specifically saying this, but people over the past two or three years have alluded to this, this wasting Joel Embiid's prime. I don't blame Ben Simmons for that. I, I blame the organization. I blame the front office and the guys that make decisions to keep Brett Brown and prioritize him over Jimmy Butler or trade this for that, sign this player instead of that player. I blame those guys more than Ben Simmons for wasting Joel Embiid's prime. All Ben and Joe can do is put the Sixers uniform on and go hoop. Uh, are there shortcomings in between? Of course, but ultimately, yeah, well, 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 I don't. I'm not saying I blame Ben for. Yeah, uh, ben, I, I'm not right. saying you were either. Yeah. I'm not saying you were either. Just right. in general, people people like to make that blanket statement. Well, right, but I, I, I think the point is that holds that there is a a, a very real fear of. Of, of of his of Joel's body being on a clock. I mean, it's a real fear. It's, yeah. it's whether you believe it or what, what, whether you just you agree with it or not. I mean, I think it's a valid fear to have. Um, so let me ask you this: Can Simmons come back? It depends. What do you mean by that? Like, can he come back and play for the Sixers? Of course he can. Will the fans be happy about it? Probably not. But. You can't worry about the people that buy the seats to watch the game. You have to worry about the business, and the business is winning a championship. That's how you monetize – or not monetize. That's how you multiply your earnings. That's how the guys in the front office get paid more. That's how the brand becomes worth more. And and, and remember, the Sixers are exploring moving into a new stadium in the city of Philadelphia. And and, and the Sixers already are a million, billion-dollar organization. Winning championship drives that up. So the goal is to win a championship. If Ben gives them the best odds to win a championship, it's of course certain that Ben can come back. Uh, the, the problem is Ben's relationship might be fractured with the fans. It definitely is, but internally. And that's what worries me. If the relationships are fractured internally, you're looking at an, a situation almost identical to Carson Wentz's, where keeping him in the locker room is just a detriment. And Ben really doesn't strike me as that guy 
But when I watched the Malice at the Palace documentary, you hear Jermaine O'Neal talking about Ron Artest and Steven Jackson. And there was just all this turmoil, like guys weren't always on the same page. And even though they all said they were fighting for one clause to, to one cause to go win the NBA championship, guys' heads were all over the place. So you just don't want that turmoil in the locker room. If the relationships are fractured internally, Ben can't. But I don't think they are. So I'll say, yeah, he can. Yeah. Um, I can, I think I can see the argument for either way. I'm leaning towards. Mm, no, you can't bring him back is what I'm, is, is what I think. I just think it's, I think it's irreparable. And um, why? I, there's no proof that Ben has the composure and, 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 and the, the makeup to be be able to with withstand and block out the the booing and the what and the, you know and what would occur if he was to show back up so i i don't see it um but that's just me and that's the the player ben has always been dating back to high school was deferring when yeah. the game's on the line i'm not taking the last shot i'm setting up my teammate to take the last shot when the pressure's on, I'm not taking that pressure. We're all feeling that pressure. And it's just built different. There's guys that are willing to take on the adversity, take on the pressure, and take accountability. Uh, ben is just not that guy, and he's never been that guy. So I think in a perfect world, you love what Ben brings defensively, and he gives you your best chance at beating Brooklyn on paper because Ben can match up with KD or Milwaukee because Ben can match up with Giannis. But – that's on paper. If there are fractured relationships internally, then I think now more than ever, you can look towards getting a De'Aaron Fox where a year ago on the podcast, Austin, we talked about trading Ben for Bradley Beal. I admittedly said I wouldn't. And you said you would. This was a year ago before this entire regular season, right? Because in my head, the defense, the facilitating, the post-ups, what Ben can be, the potential. But that's all on paper. Those are all extracurricular. In, in theory, Ben is great for the Sixers. And if Ben is Ben, he increases their championship window. But the problem is that's all hypothetical. So now more than ever, I would explore every trade. I would explore the De'Aaron Fox trades, the Minnesota trades. But you got to make sure you're not getting fleeced. And, and, and there's guys in charge now that are going to make sure they're not getting fleeced. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to pull up this stuff here. Now, before we go move any further, um, we want to discuss our partners at Thrive Fantasy. Um, come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. You can use the hashtag prop up. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in a respective sport. If it's NFL, we have preseason actively occurring. It's the season's coming up very soon. NFL choose ten out of the twenty player pop options to build your lineup. NBA is coming back in a couple months. MLB is just is, is is closing down the regular season soon. Choose five out of the ten player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total to associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. More point selection is worth the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Uh, use the promo code Simmons43. That's boy, that's wow. Simmons for the word four F O R three. Simmons for three. When you sign up today, and you'll receive an instant deposit match up to fifty dollars on your first deposit of twenty dollars or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store, or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. So Brock, let's 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 go into um, let's go into the free agency moves that they've made. Um, I gotta tell you, even they didn't do anything splashy because they really couldn't afford doing anything splashy. Splashy, so I get it. They're also hamstrung by the Simmons situation, so they maybe not want to spend too much money and, and go too crazy with it. But Andre Drummond, they 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 basically trade backup centers with 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 the Lakers. When when you can get a guy on a on a, on a minimum dollar deal. It's hard to lose that deal, right? 
I, 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 maybe they didn't accomplish the goal they wanted to accomplish in terms of bringing in a new a, a new backup big that was a stretch guy. But I also think that was Daryl's way of saying, like, I want you to play Paul Reed. I'm not going to assign you a backup big that you can use to stretch the floor. I want you to play Paul Reed. Um, and so I, I think that's possible. So, I, you know, the, Drummond's a minimum deal. There's only really one downside to Drummond, and that is – it just gives Doc a crutch to use in the playoffs, even if, even if it's like they're playing a team that that, that is again killing them in drop coverage. And so, you know, like Drummond can't go out and and and, and guard in space; he's not switchy. So he has to be kind of nailed to the rim in terms of his his defense. And then I think that could hurt, uh, obviously, in drop. Um, did you like Drummond? I love the Drummond signing, and this guy's two years removed from almost seven consecutive one thousand plus point. 1,000-plus rebound seasons. And the misconception is that Drummond is coming to Philadelphia to handle the ball, to cook something up, to make the mistakes he's made offensively with Cleveland, with Detroit. But people are really failing to see that no player last year on the Sixers stepped without their role. They all played within their role. Not one player on that team did what they weren't supposed to do. Why? There was accountability from the top down. Doc Rivers is still the head coach, and he's a player's coach. He's a strong voice regardless of how you feel about him. So Andre Drummond is coming to Philly, both under the impression that Doc Rivers is the head coach. He has relations to Doc Rivers. I believe Drummond played with Doc's uh, Austin. He played with Austin before in high school or college. So he has some camaraderie with Doc Rivers. He knows the type of coach Doc is. So Drummond already knows as he's coming to Philly, he's going to have to play a specific role. And mind you, he started – I think he's only came off the bench in one game in the past four or five seasons. Drummond has started close to every game of his career. I believe 585 games he started, and, and in only one of them the past four years, he's come off the bench. So he's coming to play a specific role. And also, he knows who Joel Embiid is. He knows that's the most dominant center in basketball that's going to lead the NBA at that position in touches – unless it's him or Jokic, but regardless, my point stands. And he's going to play 30 minutes a game. So Drummond's not coming to Philly to reinvent himself as this ball-handling stretch five. No, he's coming to play a role. And what's that role? Exactly what Dwight did, except Drummond has a way more polished game offensively. He's yeah. going to bang and roll. Go ahead. I think, I think that's true what you said. I think he's a better finisher than Dwight. Yeah, and not only that, he can just he can just do more offensively. So he's going to do what Dwight did in terms of bagging and rolling because think about that second unit. You want Maxi shooting. You want Shake shooting. You want Cork shooting. If you have to stagnate, you want Curry shooting. You want Danny Green shooting. So Drummond is going to bang and roll because those guys are the ones that are supposed to be shooting. But Drummond is a low-post player. He has a low-post game, which Dwight didn't really have. Dwight caught lobs. Dwight caught rolls to the basket, but Dwight didn't do much in terms of dribbling or creating anything in the low post. Drummond can do that. He can't shoot, but he can create within 15 feet of the basket for himself. And here's what I really like. Teams were in tremendous foul trouble having to deal with Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. They still got to see Joel for 30 minutes a game. And after that, 18, 20 minutes are going to come from a 6'10", almost 300-pound center in Andre Drummond, who's seven years younger than Dwight Howard. So teams are going to be in tremendous foul trouble on given nights, and backup centers are, are going to be in a uh, – it's going to be a problem for opposing bigs and defenses. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now let's go over to George Niang. I think that's a great move uh, by the Sixers. They get him – for part of the MLE, uh, part of the taxpayer MLE, so they still have about 2.6 uh, of that MLE remaining before they're hard capped. I don't think they want to be hard capped because they want to be able to, you know, move some things around if Lillard becomes available. So I, I think they're, for the exception of Charles Bassey, who the reports are that he'll be on the roster, just about, but negotiating the terms of the contract. Um, I like that move a lot. Obviously, Scott's out. Um, I actually heard that he might be pursuing opportunities in Europe. Uh, or overseas to play. That'd be, that'd be cool for Mike Scott. Yeah, I like that. I, I think he'd be. I think he's gonna be one of those eighty points a game guys in China. It'd be great. I don't think that. I don't. Think, I mean, look, the American boys usually hoop over in China, but I don't know if Mike Scott's dropping eighty. 
That's uh, but but listen, the Shanghai well, obviously Shanghai Spurs might be looking pretty nice with Ben Simmons and Mike Scott in, in, in a couple of months. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's funny. So I like the I like the George Yang deal because I think if you look at his like if you were to extrapolate his his numbers over a, over like a, a bigger sample size of minutes. He's a he's a good three point shooter on high volume. He can he plays inside out a little bit, so he's not as much about like the, you know, he he can put, he can put the ball on on the floor and get to the rim and be a little bit crafty in that regard. Um, so I like that about him. I also think that like he can only guard four, so he kind of restricts you in your in terms of your lineups. He can play, I guess, like a little bit of ultra small ball five, but mostly just fours and power forwards. Um, he's a better passer. I think than 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 you might have thought, um, but I, I think generally, given the dollar amount, six point seven mil over two years, it's a really good deal. Uh, I think he'll be an upgrade. Just someone who will just catch and shoot and not think about it is, is, and make it is what they need. Because Mike Scott would catch and shoot, he just wouldn't make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's probably my favorite thing about the Niang signing. You get a legitimate stretch for him. The Sixers bench was productive in terms of offense last season, but none of that offense really came from a backup stretch board because there ultimately was none that could contribute. So Niang gives them a stretch four offensively that's going to shoot anywhere between 38 and 41%. Uh, most of his threes throughout his career have been off the catch, which is really complimentary too. If Ben is on the roster, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, those drives, one-on-one opportunities when doubles come where a player gets trapped, they can kick out to a really reliable three-point shooter. And look, he played in Utah, among other stars, in a system, and it was a winning team. So he knows how to play winning basketball within a system. That's exactly what the Sixers have. It's a winning basketball team with a system, and nobody plays outside of their role. And, and those are the two things I really like about the Niang signing. I also think that his efficiency is obviously you know awesome, as is. He was doing that without – having like a big that would like like that could command doubles like he even said that in his presser never had that before so imagine what he so he's going to have a little bit more space because there's there's going to be a big helping off and imagine what that's going to do for, for him. I, I think he could i think there's room for him to become a better shooter in theory because he should have more space probably he, he's probably going to set a career high it depends on his playing time but Last year, the Sixers did have to rely on fours a lot and, and, and have players play that four or positionless. But uh, in theory, I agree with you that he could set career highs in terms of three-point production. Uh, it's his whole career, he's been a 41% three-point shooter off of the catch. He's not going to skew too far away from that. But to your point, the doubles that Rudy Gobert drew were rolling doubles. So Rudy sets a screen, he rolls, then Yang's defender. Yeah. The weak side would then leave and double Gobert. The difference is, again, to your point, Joel Embiid just gets doubles, period. No matter where he is on the floor or what he's doing, his presence alone is enough to draw doubles. So Joe can be at the elbow, draw a double there, and then nobody's guarding Niang in the corner, who is also a top-10 three-point shooter in the corner. It, it can only be beneficial for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's go over to Danny Green. They re-signed him. I love that. I I I, I can't under I can't state enough how important it was to bring back Danny Green, especially because for a while there I was I was leaning towards okay he's just going to be gone, um, but he that was a big get for them to get him to get him back. He people in his, yeah people close to him told me that he wanted about like eighteen nineteen mil per year. Um, per year. Yeah, so I was I was kind of surprised that that that, that it, it got down to that point where it was ten million a year. But I mean, his market just never materialized the way the way that, the way that he had hoped it would. So um, they they bring him back on a two year deal, fully guaranteed. I believe it was so good. Get good. You, you got you brought back a, pr- a crucial part of your starting lineup. If, if he's there for the Hawks series, you probably win the series. Um, but good, it it was it was a good get. I like. I, I, it, it was. They needed him. Simply put, they needed him. It's yeah. a three and D guy, and and those are a premium in the NBA. Last year was his most productive uh, NBA season from beyond the arc, just in terms of volume and, and and consistency. The Sixers won when they made three point shots early. I believe they were twenty seven and five in the regular season when they made six or more threes in the first half. Why? 
because they established the three-point shot. It gives Embiid more space, more one-on-one opportunities for Ben, Tobias, Joe, and they can really get into a good offense. Well, Danny Green led the team in three-point attempts and makes in the first half. He was huge for early offense, and he gives you multi-positional defensive flexibility. He can guard ones a little bit. He can guard twos and threes, and if you need him to switch anywhere in between, he really can. So he gives them sturdiness. He gives them offense, which is crucial, and he gives them leadership. He's a calming presence both on the floor and in the locker room. They retain a guy to keep Joe happy, to keep Tobias in the core intact under Doc. It's huge. Because, look, if you don't retain Danny, who are his options? Milwaukee, the Lakers, Miami, all teams the Sixers are probably going to have to see in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, all in all, I think they've gotten slightly better from last year. Slightly. You can debate the merits of, of like, well, they're going to take a, a backward step in chemistry because of Ben and whatnot. It's fair. But I think on paper, which is a, which is the only way you could logically evaluate a team in terms of, like, tangible, um, like, like, quantifiable, like, progress or not, is by looking at it on paper right now. Um, Furcon was also a good one. That's great one. I think that I think they see that as a tradable contract, and I think there's a. It, notice how they've already announced the signing and have the presser for Danny Green and you know uh, the other guys, but not Furcon yet. Just keep that in mind. I think that's, that's telling. True. I thought that's they had one for Furcon. Not yet. I think that's telling. I I, I, I I'm not. Me. I, I think that's a very interesting factoid. I actually think the Danny Green contract is more tradable than Quirks. I think, I think they're both tradable, but I, I think it's a little bit telling that they've already reintroduced Danny, but not for Cub. They're both very team-friendly. I love the Quirks signing because he's young, he's athletic, he has a ton of room to grow. He's 6'7", so defensively, you do have some flexibility, and offensively, he gives you just what you need out of him. Yeah. Shoot the ball unconsciously. It might not go in. But just don't have the fear, and and Cork is a fearless shooter. That's a great team friendly signing, and I'm sure his market was probably a little more handsome than three years, fifteen million dollars. So he, he settled coming to Philly. It, it shows that he wants to be here, and I think the organization's committed to him for the time being. But I mean, Dame becomes available. Portland wants Furkan Korkmaz. That's not a contract or a player that the Sixers would hesitate to trade. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to the summer league to wrap it up here. Um, <clears throat> Tyrese Maxey, I thought was sensational. Um, he's really getting better at creating space and, and separation um, for his jumper. He's also becoming an incredible finisher at various angles. And I think that's what, what that's going to do is it's going to make it really hard for defenders to, to funnel him to the rim because he's not afraid of contact. He's not afraid of, 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 of different angles or different hands. He's comfortable in, in a variety of settings. I was, I was asked plenty to break down the summer league games, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to because Tyrese Maxey was doing everything. And that's nothing we didn't already know and see. So this dude Tyrese Maxey's dropping 31 points. People are freaking out on Twitter. This kid, he's got crazy. Doug, he saved the Sixers season single-handedly. Game six in Atlanta, playoffs, hostile environment, 20 years old. He saved the Sixers season. So this dude's been doing that. He's a fearless finisher. He's not afraid of contact. He doesn't care who your center is. He's going to get in their chest. So I think the Sixers said, look, Tyrese, go out there and shoot. Shoot every shot. Dribble. We don't care what you do. Just play your game and do everything. We want you to get better, so do what you got to do. And he did that. Tyrese balled out, but it was nothing me and you didn't already know. Yeah. I think those are also, like, translatable things because – whether you're doing it summer league or not, you can you can either finish at the rim off of your wrong foot or you can't, and it's just sort of like he he can like like it's it's impressive, and I I think he's you know I think he's a very good young player should have been taken in the top ten in his, his draft for sure. Um, let's go over to Paul Reed. I think he's a got a world of potential in him, and still some a high upside left. I just think that he needs to learn to play within his little box of like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. This is what I do. I can do this, is what I can't do. This is what I, I won't try too hard to do because I can't dribble. I can't take out the dribble. I'm not a, I'm not an isolation guy, but Hey, if he, if he can, you know, catch on the perimeter and tackle on a, on a line and, and get to the rim, that's cool. If he can 
hit if he can hit a a jab step or or you know drive and then create separation with a with with with, the, with a, a plant and then step back for a jumper. That's cool too, but a little bit erratic and it's kind of hard to trust him because he tries to do a little too much sometimes. I feel you there. Uh, I like Paul Reed's size. I completely agree with what you're saying. I think with Paul, uh, with within his stints in the summer league, the G League, the playoffs there, Paul has looked incredible offensively. Maybe not the jump shot, just the fluidity, like how he can dribble and move off the dribble and just the control he has over his body. Um, but I, I do think when he plays in the NBA, he's going to have to be confined to a specific role. And when you've seen him with the Sixers, it's really been that bang and roll to the basket, not so much a step out and stretch the floor, shoot, have those responsibilities offensively to create for himself within or outside of the perimeter. So I think a lot remains to be seen, but there is potential there. Yeah, for sure. Painted lines is always solid, baby. Always solid. Well, look, I'm not going to get into it. With, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> me, yeah, we're solid. We're solid. But listen, Jay, you were you were making me a little concerned, bro, because Jay was very strongly opinionated about the Andre Drummond signing. And it confused me because he was solid all year. He was cool all year. Was and Jay. The Andre Drummond said. The, the oh, Jay Echo. He was very heavily opinionated and felt some type of way about the Andre Drummond signing. And it kind of frightened me after a year being solid. I don't know. It's a backup center on a vet minimum deal. It's, it, there's there's really no negative to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, next, Isaiah Joe. I think he's not a point guard, but and and before you like, like, what does it matter? I think he would have normally been buried behind a Ferk or a Shake or. Matisse, and I don't think he's big enough to play small forward. However, I think there is an avenue for him to play minutes in like an emergency backup point guard situation. And I think that's really interesting because he played a little bit of point guard in high school. He can handle a little bit, not like not like prolifically, not like where you can rely on him in an entire game, but hey, this person just went back to the locker room with an ankle sprain. This guy got into foul trouble. Um, we need another ball handler. I think Isaiah Joe can do a little bit of that in, in the half court. I mean, you saw him initiate a double drag a little bit and find Paul Reed diving to the rim for, 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 for finishes. He has that step back. He's getting more comfortable. He, he just lets that ball fly whenever he touches it. He's not afraid of anything. He's a pure shooter, unconscious from beyond the arc. He's a movement shooter. He can shoot off of the screen, off of the dribble, off of the catch. There's really nothing he's limited to in terms of, of shooting from beyond the arc. And, that, much like 3-and-D wings, is a premium. So if Isaiah Joe continues to bulk up, and defensively Joe made awesome strides in the NBA last season, not just the G League and the Summer League, I think Joe most definitely will be a, 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 a 6, 7, 8, ninth man off the bench. Eventually that can contribute with, let's say, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Jaden Springer. A lot of work. A lot of work, but that's what they drafted him as. When you draft a kid his, his age, unless it's – Within the top 10, right, no kid that's really 18 years old is going to come in and, and, and be a sensation. So Springer, I understand why they drafted him, a point of attack defender, really sturdy on that end, played at Tennessee, so they play good fundamental basketball. But offensively, he's got a lot of work to do. There, 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 there is some really good stuff like the movement, driving, finishing. He can create mismatches against other guards. He's got a, a good mid-range game, but – offensively, there is work to do. And I think the most important part for him is just discovering who he is. And that's what makes a player like Tyrese Maxey so unique. Because at 20 years old, Maxey came into the league with a precise understanding of what he has to do to produce at the next level. What he's asked to do, what he's got to do for himself and his teammates. Whereas a kid like Springer, he's got to learn the entire world of basketball. What he has to do at the next level to really compete. Yeah, I think his point of attack defense is really good. Um, I think he's a uh, he has the makings of a very good team defender because he can get in the passing lanes. He's very good hand, has, has strong hands. I think I said this last night, but I think there's an Avery, Avery Bradley in there somewhere. Um, offense has an incredibly long way to go still, mm-hmm. and I don't think you're going to see him on an NBA court maybe at all this year. I wouldn't be surprised either. And and this is a champion. Uh, 
I won't say a championship contending team. I'll say a team with championship aspirations. And Doc, I mean, you know he loves his 11-man rotations. But as it stands, if Isaiah Joe and Paul Reed are fighting to get minutes in that 10, 11-man rotation, uh, unless Jaden Springer does something miraculous, I don't think he'll crack that. Yeah. Um, Aaron Henry, I liked him a lot. I I'm liked him a Summer lot. League. Summer League. Okay. I, I think that – I think that dude is – he can create a little bit off the dribble. He can, he, he's really good. He, he has some separation ability there. Um, and I, I just think, like, he's somebody who in isolation can, like, hit a, a step back and, and from, the, from the elbows and drain it. He's a lefty. Um, you know, it, it, I, I, I like what I see a lot out of him. He's got to be a stationary shooter. Probably most of his shots are just stationary catch and shoot. Um, but for the most part, like he's uber athletic and you see that with the rotations and the help defense and keeping guys in front of him, he's uber athletic and offensively, if he can just hone in on, on much like Springer, what he's got to do to compete and contribute at the next level. I like the Henry signing too, but more importantly than just Springer or Henry or Joe or Reed, I like what the Sixers are doing. They're building a pipeline right now, which is what winning teams do. A, a pipeline of prospects that you can develop. And then once right. they get to that age or, or, or that success level, you throw them in and, and they're not caught off guard. Or you can trade some of them for as part of a bigger deal. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm... <laughs> Look, Daryl Morey is being way too quiet. Daryl Morey is being way too quiet in comparison to what Miami did to what the Lakers did. So ultimately he might think the Sixers running it back is their best chance at winning a championship, but I think Maury's been a little too quiet this offseason. Yeah. Philip Petrushev. I was surprised at his ability and instinct as a rim defender because that was not his MO coming out of school uh, or coming over from Europe. He did win the Adriatic League MVP. Um, I thought he was supposed to be a four spacer. He only shot three threes. (laughs) So I don't quite know what to make there. Um, I guess the Sixers will see him at some point, but – I think if he's if if he's an instinctual rim protector like he seemed to be in summer league, I think that bodes well for him actually getting onto the court at the NBA level if he decides to come over. And that was the thing that stood out: his defense, his rim protection. He's a big body, but he's a stash, so you're not going to see him on the floor anytime soon. Yeah. Last two, um, Dacian Nix. I so I I looked at Sam Bassini's scouting report on him, and I was like. God, this dude looks like he's a long way to go. Yeah, oh, I know. That was <laughs> nice. That's, that's what you get recording in 90-degree weather out here. I mean, you're, no, you're making me nervous, Krell. Actually, that's what it is. You got the blue check. I'm nervous to be up here, so I'm sweating bullets. That's right. That's right. Um, but Dacian next, he took off some weight. Um, but I, I don't have to make that shot because he didn't take a lot of shots uh, out of threes, and he also missed a lot. He only shot 18% from three. His um, in, in with, with the G League Ignite. But um, I think he has some some nice natural point guard in him. He makes plays off the bounce. Um, he's a facilitator. He can get downhill and then kick to the corner. He makes reads that are not so simple. Um, and I, I just think there's some nice t- untapped point guard potential there. And he's still really young. So there's maybe a flyer worth taking in the G League. Maybe you put him there for a year. And if he gets picked up by somebody else, oh, well. Can you tell me why Sharif Cooper fell? No idea. I have no idea. You know what that's all about now. It could be summer league hype, but do you have any idea why Sharif Cooper fell that far in the draft? I, I, I don't know why, but I'll tell you this. I try not to take any kind of stock really in summer league because mm-hmm. it's just summer league. <laughs> but – I was very I, I I was very impressed, and I think a lot of the things that he does now are translatable. Uh-huh. And I mean, with Knicks, I think you hit the nail on the head—a natural point guard—and that's what he showed in his G League tape, summer league as well. Uh, he, he just knows how to get downhill, facilitate, and, and that's what he's good at—feeding his teammates and creating a little bit for himself offensively. But he is undersized; he's he, he's a small guard, so uh, I don't know if that's going to affect him at the next level. But um, only time can tell. Yeah. All right. Down to the last thing here. And this is going to build off of what the clever one says. Um, uh, Grant Riller. So today the Sixers wave. Um, Ray John. Ray John Tucker. 
And he was not an NBA player. He was he wasn't, but he was an NBA personality. Something like that. Like um, dude had no skill. You just a pure athlete, no functional athleticism, just pure. Um, I can jump through everybody and I'm gonna explode at everybody. But um I wonder if I said this a couple times, but I wonder if Daryl was like, Oh, I, I traded for KJ McDaniels once, I resigned KJ McDaniels once. This guy reminds me of him, I'm gonna give him a shot. And then it was like can't do it because he because think about it very similar skill types n- n- both freak athletes neither could shoot he acquired um he acquired rajon in houston last off season or, or last uh you know season he played in the bubble a little bit and then he gets them on a two-way deal last season to the sixers so i think there's an archetype that daryl likes but he he realized that he just wasn't very good and he wasn't couldn't shoot thought he could shoot but couldn't shoot um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not scratching my head at that one. Now that brings us to our next topic, our last topic, Grant Riller. That's a, I like that pickup. He was a, a, a high level scorer at Charleston. Um, he averaged like 18 points per game. I think is per, I've tweeted this out today, but his per, um, his per 40 minutes, he averaged 26.1 points per game per hundred possessions. It was 39 points per game. And his in his in his senior year at Charleston, he's a little small, so his efficiency probably won't be anything spectacular. But I think there's a really good there's there's some interesting scoring potential there. Of course, good speed, good acceleration, good handles, take guys off the dribble. The hezies, he's got a good bag. And 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 when you pride yourself on what he does, a true offensive game, just putting the ball in the basket, you got to have that bag. And and he does have a deep variety of offense. So I like it. I, I like what he offers more than Tucker, but ultimately. Neither of them are going to see the floor for the Sixers. They're not going to crack the 12-man rotation. Um, so the minutes they'll see is, is, is with Delaware, and, and you hope that eventually one of them can develop into an NBA-caliber rotation piece. All right. Brock, where can they find you? On Twitter, at Landis Brock, L-A-N-D-S-B-R-O-C-K. That's on Twitter. On YouTube, Brock Landis. And make sure you guys tap into the YouTube. Within the next few days, I'll have a Joel Embiid piece out, which I'm really happy to get out. Uh, so don't miss that. That's right. Find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. I cover the Sixers, the Painted Lines. I am on the beat uh, again this year. So we will uh, we'll see what the season brings us. I'm hoping that I will get in-person credential this year. So we'll see. Um, find me on also at the, at the Feed to Embiid where I podcast about the Sixers like this program tonight. Uh, shout out my dad. Happy 69 birthday tomorrow. So, uh, man, fully retired now, so he just drives me nuts all day. Okay. But, uh, yeah. But, but, uh, happy birthday, Pops. And, um, yeah. Well, thanks everybody tuning in. Be back. I try to do it every other week now because there's not a lot going on, but when the season starts back up, we'll have more content for you. Um, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Feed Doing Bead. Hope you have a great night, everybody.